come on in, fill up that coffee, grab your Bible, open up to Acts. Um, I was thinking about this as we were singing a couple weeks ago, actually twice this summer I got to do uh, weddings, and I, I love actually getting to perform wedding ceremonies, and one of the things at the beginning of a wedding that I try to always do is when the bride and groom are up there is to have them just stop for a second and to notice what's going on in that place, friends and family that support them, uh, a union that God has uh, given us, a blessing that God has given us to join as one in marriage, and it's really uh, a sacred moment. And I was thinking about that as we gather as a church, and often familiarity breeds just this, well, familiarity feeling, like here we go again, here's a Sunday, and here's some songs that we're going to sing, and here's a message, and let's get on our way so we can have some great pizza afterwards, or tacos, or whatever. And there is something far more at work in this place than just that. And I think we can lose sight of not only just the reality that God is present with me in this place, but he's present with us and the sacredness of what takes place in a church gallery. It's very unique and very special. So I just kind of want to draw our attention to that this morning as we get ready to spend time in Acts. Acts 1, we're going to look at uh, right around verses 15 all the way through 2-4 and to just realize we're a part of something that God has called us into. So let me pray, read some scripture, and then we'll unpack this this morning for you. Father, thank you uh, for this time, this moment that you are with us. Whether like Jacob in the wilderness in that place of Luz where he said, truly God was here and I did not even know, and that place gets renamed Bethel. The presence of God there with him. And I pray that our eyes would be opened and would see what you want to do today and how you want to work in us, not just as individuals, but as a church in this community and beyond. So guide us, lead us. May these familiar truths not be so familiar today as they're presented in a freshness with your spirit present. Work in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me just read some scripture here. We're going to pick up in Acts chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Then they, being the disciples and others with them, returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alcas, Alphacaeus, sorry, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brother. So there's this activity of prayer and waiting, as Jesus had told them. We looked at that last week. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judah, Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. Fantastic. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akadama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, 
May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all that time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us to witness his resurrection. They put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. They prayed and said, you, O Lord, one of these two men have you chosen to take the place in the ministry and the apostleship from which Judas returned aside to go into his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So much going on in there. Not today. Not today. A little bit, but not all today. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here's where we are in the story of Jesus and in this portion of Acts. The resurrected Jesus has been spending time with his disciples, teaching them, as we saw in Acts chapter 1, all things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He's given them this command when they ask that question of, hey, is it time, Jesus, to establish your rule and your reign? And he says, hold up, wait. For what? The power of the Spirit to come upon you, where you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And then the ascension takes place. You read about it in both Luke and also in Acts. And Jesus has gone up and they're now in this upper room waiting on the spirit to come. And this moment of time is going to radically reframe how people will ultimately look at all of life. I sincerely and truly mean this. It's a transition period of the way that things were previously done to now the Spirit abiding with the people of God and then going forth in His power. It's the beginning of that new creation, the here but not yet. And what I want to do this morning is we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And that makes us all a little uncomfortable. (laughs) Like, oh my goodness, where does this going to go? What's going to happen? What do they really believe about these things? And if you're anything like me, you come into any talk about the Holy Spirit with some presupposition, some ideas, some thoughts, some experiences that you believe concerning your beliefs of the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know how you were raised, whether you were raised in church or not in church. Presbyterian, Baptist, Pentecostal, Closet, charismatic, you might fit into one of those boxes. But you bring in an experience, a set of doctrine and thinking concerning the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to talk about this book of Acts, which is a continuation of all the things that Jesus taught and did and continues to do through the empowering of the Holy Spirit in his disciples and apostles, then we better have some kind of grasp on who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit is up to in this 
section of scripture in our lives as well. Now, for me growing up, um, I was a part of a denomination called the Assemblies of God. Anybody familiar with the AG? Right? The AG had a, and still has, a set of doctrine concerning the spirit. And as a nine-year-old, I got to witness this in its fullest extent. We went to Mountain Lakes Bible Camp right outside Klamath Falls. Anybody familiar with that place? It was a gathering of all the AG churches there in Oregon for a kids' camp of like fourth through sixth graders. And I had the audacity to invite a friend to come to this camp with me. We're going to play some kickball. Uh, We're going to shoot some hoops. They forced us to do puppets. That was horrendous. And we had this opportunity to really build friendship and, and have some fun. Well, this guy comes in and... I don't know what it is about the worst teachings you ever hear as like a Christian, but they stick with you (laughs) and they never leave you. And he does this long teaching and in it he burns a $20 bill and we're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this guy did this. And he begins to talk about your need for a baptism in the Holy Spirit. In addition to that, To truly know you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, you must speak in an unknown tongue. It's like, oh, wow. I'm nine with my older friend I'm trying to impress and become better friends with hearing this. And so they give this teaching and they give this sermon and then, you know, the synth music comes on and they're playing and it's an extended time of worship and you're not supposed to leave the room until you speak in an unknown tongue to your counselor. It was horrible. Now, my friend was not a Christian and, and so he just lies. He's like, I just went up there and uttered some gibberish and I'm out, man. Like, I'm, I'm done with this situation. Um, I am a nine-year-old with a conscience, and I just feel this dilemma of, do I lie and fake this thing, or, or do I somehow figure out like, how, how to do this? And this was my first real experience with the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you what, it made me incredibly suspicious for the vast majority of my life. If that's what that is, I don't want anything to do. Like, give me the camp of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Because I can box that thing in, I can study it, I can know it, I can understand it, I can regurgitate it and spit it back out. But the spirit going where the wind blows and influencing and moving and doing things, I, I don't really know if I want anything to do with that. It's a little scary at times to think that that kind of control our power and then to read these stories and acts, cloven tongues of fire, and then it's duplicated with Cornelius in Acts chapter 11, and then it happens again later on with Paul and his ministry. What in the world is going on? It seems so unfamiliar and sketchy and weird, and that's not the kind of group I want to associate with. And this morning, what I hope to do a little bit of is to reduce some of our suspicion, to acknowledge that the Spirit still moves and works today. Um, I'm not going to tickle your fancy when it comes to tongues and all that. You can go back and listen in 1 Corinthians when we taught through that, what we believe concerning that. It'll come up later on in Acts as well. But to really talk about the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And how we see it in Acts is the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit is God's person 
We're gonna look at that today. Is God's power. We're gonna see that. And next week we're gonna see is God's presence as we look at the temple that existed in that day and the new temple that is in the church and how God dwells in that new temple, which is his people. And we're gonna make that distinction next week, which will be really fun to do. And then we'll look at the church and the kingdom as that unfolds. And so what we need to understand this morning, and for some of you this may be review, for some of you this may be new information, and that's great. We're all at different places in our knowledge of scripture and study and understanding who the Holy Spirit is. And so just bear with me, and then we'll get to some things that might hopefully impact your heart, impact your life, uh, and make some changes in who we are. Uh, The Spirit is a person and not merely a force. The Spirit is a person and not merely a force. Where is the first place we see the presence of the Holy Spirit in Scripture? Does anybody know? Yeah, Genesis 1. Thanks, Ben. You don't get to answer any more questions today. (laughs) But you can sing beautifully later for us. We'll love that. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form or void. And it says there, the Spirit of God did what? It was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God that is there present over this barren, formless wasteland, and ultimately is bringing this like beauty out of the land that is nothingness. In the scriptures in Hebrew, we know the Spirit as the word ruach. You want to spit on somebody? Say it with me. Ruach. I really hawk that one more time. Ruach. All right, hawk that loogie on somebody. I'm good with that. They may not be means blowing, wind, respiration. Really how we would translate it is breathing. Breathing as a sign of life. And hence we get the spirit of life. The spirit is necessary for life. In the New Testament, in Greek, you'll see the word hagion, which means holy. And then you'll see pneuma, which means spirit. So you'll either see those referenced together or you'll just see in reference to the spirit, the word pneuma. And what we grasp from who the spirit is, is the Holy Spirit is God. We'll see that very dramatically in Acts chapter six. And the spirit is not less than God. The spirit is not your inner, inner, excuse me, inner voice. That's your spirit. You do have an inner voice. You talk to yourself more than anybody else talks to you. You do it daily on your drives, before you go to bed, when you wake up in the middle of the night and realize your toilet's still running, thinking I gotta fix that thing, but it's Sunday morning, I gotta get to church. That was my life this morning. Constant thoughts still happening. We talk to ourselves more than anybody. There is an inner spirit, an inner man, and that inner man, inner spirit at times is at war with the Holy Spirit pressing on us or in submission to the Spirit, getting direction, guidance, and vision for what we ought to be doing and how God wants to move in our lives. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is not for you to control. That's where like, my Baptist roots is a little uneasy. It's not for you to control, but to come under submission to. And as we see in the scriptures, the long-awaited anticipation of verses like we looked at last week, like Isaiah chapter 11, 
for Israel and the kingdom of God to come came synonymously with the spirit. The kingdom and the spirit was constant thought in that day and age. Those two things would show up on the scene together. Well, what would that look like? If you have a Bible, you can flip over to Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, If not, it should be up on the screen. Let me just read a few verses to you. This is the hope of Israel. This is their anticipation. This is what they're looking for and desiring, a king and a leader in a kingdom. Ultimately, it's what we all want in terms of some kind of utopian society that brings peace. It says, there shall come forth a shoot. Now, this is very loaded with symbolism and prophetic kind of language. So just bear with it. This shoot from the stump of Jesse. There's going to come, what it's basically saying is from the lineage of Jesse, someone who's going to come and rise up. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon them. Who is this talking about? Yeah, you all get a pass today. When when I ask you that question, it's a very easy answer, Jesus. Okay, and it says the spirit of God rests upon him. If you were here for Matthew, when we talked about the baptism of Jesus, what descended upon him? The spirit right? The Spirit rests upon Jesus. Jesus' ministry is empowered by the Holy Spirit, influenced by the Holy Spirit. What we see done through him in the Spirit's presence. It says, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall, oh, this changes, kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Now, verse six, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. That which is dangerous, terrifying, is going to lie with, lay down next to the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. That is a picture of God's peace, right? Just this earthly society that you see painted on every Jehovah Witness pamphlet you've ever received. If you know, you know. The lion and the lamb together, the fattened calf together, the child leading the cow, the bear shall graze, the young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be the full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Does that feel like it exists right now? No. <laughs> no. I mean, we feel more at war than ever before. And what I want us to see in here, we've talked about on and off again throughout the Matthew series, and it comes up over and over again as we're teaching, is we see how in Jesus the kingdom has come. We see in Jesus this fulfillment, especially of that first part of Scripture. And what we have is the kingdom now, but not yet. There's aspects of the kingdom where there was once war and problems. <laughs> pain and suffering, where God has moved in and brought peace and hope and joy. There's also going to be a consummation of this kingdom. 
in which what was just spoken of will be in its fulfillment, in its entirety, but it's not there yet. Jesus has inaugurated this kingdom, and now he's inviting you into it. And the same spirit that rests on Jesus is the same spirit that then settles upon these disciples and empowers them for the mission of God that's been laid out before them. That same spirit has then been promised to you and to me as well. And we get little tastes of heaven when we function, operate, and yield our wills to his will and do the things that the spirit desires for us to do. Like when forgiving somebody is incredibly difficult and hard, we'll expound on this in a little bit. And yet somehow, not in your own strength, but you find this power from outside of you giving you the ability to forgive somebody that's deeply cut, hurt, and wronged you, and you have that taste of heaven in your heart. That is the work of the Spirit. That is the work of Jesus continuing on in your life. That is a taste of new creation. This is what the Spirit is up to in Acts. Listen, this morning, the Spirit coming is not about cloven tongues of fire. We'll look a little bit at that next week. The Spirit coming is not about glossia, which is that Greek word for unknown languages or tongues. The Spirit coming is the sign of the presence of God with his people. Acts has ridiculously amazing stories, like Dorcas being raised up from the dead, people just touching the apron of, I believe it's Peter or Paul, and what? They're healed. Miracles taking place. Prison doors opening. Chains falling off. Earthquakes happening that free, that free disciples that are stuck in prison. Incredible. That is not the point of Acts. The point of Acts is God's present with us. So then, what is this whole baptism of the Spirit all about? On Acts 1.5, we read... For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized. That word baptized essentially just meaning immersed, immersed with the Holy Spirit. We don't see that phrase happening in Acts 2, verse 4. It says that they are then filled with the Holy Spirit. If you come from any kind of Pentecostal or like leaning, strong, charismatic kind of background, the baptism of the Spirit is a secondary moment in which some preacher, teacher, pastor comes in. They've got, quote unquote, the gift of the Spirit and the anointing resting upon them, and they want to transfer the power of the Spirit from themselves to you. Has anybody, I mean, I've sat in those teachings, okay? And they're emotional and they're highly driven and um, I understand their theology and their thinking behind that. that. That is not what I believe is what is going on in this section of scripture. However, I do believe what is happening here and throughout the scriptures is there is a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, 20th filling of the Holy Spirit, but not in the manner of what I just described and explained to you. What is the baptism of the Spirit? In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it is the initial work of salvation. For in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, doesn't matter your background, he's saying. Slaves, free, doesn't matter. All were made to drink of one Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13, in him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. That means this morning, if you have submitted your life to who Jesus is, you are sealed 
by the Holy Spirit. He is the, as Paul says, down payment, the guarantee, the promise that God has given you you in your life. You are filled then, your life is immersed in the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 5, one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And the purpose of the Spirit? Instruction. Power on high coming to you? Absolutely. Comfort, security, guarantee, and inheritance. That's really the essence and the fullness of what's being talked about here. That they've received this overwhelming experience of God and his greatness and it's spilling into their lives and then out into others in this courageous way and it results in passionate praise and being a witness to other people. But what's really intriguing is after Paul declares all of this in Ephesians, he gets to Ephesians 5 and he says this, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you yourself or you've been around people who have been drunk before, one of the things we know about them is that that substance has now become the controlling influence in their life, right? That determines their actions, kind of what they say. Their tongue is a little loosened up. And so we know that then it influences how they interact and talk with other people because if they weren't in that way they would actually be acting in an entirely different way. Paul is not saying in that passage, don't drink alcohol. He's saying, may the Holy Spirit, like how wine is when somebody's intoxicated, may the Holy Spirit be the controlling influence in your life. It's a big, big turnaround for some people. May the Holy Spirit be the one who's leading, directing, giving you wisdom in your life. So this morning, the question I ask you guys is, what, what controls you? Who influences you? Influence is huge. There is an entire industry that makes more money than all of us combined in like one 18-year-old. It's called being an influencer, (laughs) right? Influence. We have just really grabbed a hold of what it means to be an influencer and how much power it actually has in a person's life. What influences you? What takes priority in your life? In Acts, we see Stephen, before he's martyred, killed, was full of, same word, full of faith. The Pharisees, in Jesus' day, they were filled with madness. That's talked about. The Bible talks about being filled with love and letting love dominate your life. What fills you? Now, both Christians and non-Christians alike can grit their teeth and can persevere and put all their energy and effort into loving people. And it's an effort at times. What I don't want you to hear me say this morning is that Christians are loving and non-Christians are unloving because I think we've experienced the opposite a lot of times in our lives, right? (laughs) Often it feels like, man, my unchristian neighbors are a lot nicer than the people at church who really tick me off every week. who talk about me, who've gossiped about me, who slandered this person and that person in the church. In fact, if I want gossip, I go to church. If I want friendship, I go outside the church. And and what we don't want to do is make that kind of a comparison here this morning by any means. And what I'm not saying is if you aren't a Christian, you can't be kind or loving. But I will say, where does your power come from to be those things, especially when it's difficult? 
Because that's the question I have this morning. When it's not easy to love somebody, how are you going to, where are you going to get the strength to love somebody? When you don't want to forgive somebody because, in fact, they don't deserve your forgiveness, but deep down you know the only way for not only your peace, but their peace as well, is it for you to extend and offer that forgiveness to them? Where are you going to find the strength and the power to forgive somebody when it's utterly impossible in your own strength? Where exhausted single mom when you come home to your kids who've been wrecking havoc all day at school and continue the process till 10 p.m. as they're screaming bruh at Fortnite? <laughs> right? Like, if I hear, if you call me bro one more time, child, I'm about to show you something. Where are you going to find the strength to show mercy and kindness and love in those moments? And what happens when it becomes this self-effort? We become jaded, bitter, angry, hostile kinds of people, both inside and outside the church. We grow into the stereotypical old man on the lawn yelling the dang kid to get off his grass. I see how we can get there because situation and life experience has jaded us. What the scriptures talk about here is there's a power outside of us that comes to us. And what we're asked to do is to say, I need that. I need that. And if you studied 1 Corinthians with us, you know that we believe that the Spirit may manifest himself in seeing somebody healed. That there may be a miraculous work done. That's not our pursuit. Because the Spirit doesn't even say, pursue me. The Spirit says, I'm going to point you to Jesus. And we're to pursue Jesus. And all the things that the Spirit does is to elevate, exalt the name of Jesus. But there's an aspect in which we need to be yielding our lives to who the Spirit is. A million other things, but I'm not going to go there. What I do want to end on this morning is that question. Are you yielded this morning? I understand that you made a decision 15, 20 years ago, or maybe 10 minutes ago, to say, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, walking in his kingdom now and the not yet, to be. I want to be his follower. But daily, are we submitting ourselves to who God is? Are we submitting ourselves to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives in the most difficult of situations? I don't think we've done this well. It's really easy and somewhat fun and maybe a bit controversial to harp on politics right now. But I think in that sphere especially, Christians have done a very poor job, not necessarily because of our stances or our beliefs. I shouldn't even say our, as in we're all in the same boat, because I don't think we are, but more in the manner in which we've displayed our passions about those things. We've been angry, cantankerous, bitter, wanting to stomp people out with our words and hurt them. Uh, and that's just not what I see in Acts, in this political movement of the church against the political movement of Rome. It's not what I see in First Peter. Yes, they made stances and had different ways of going about life, but they did it in a way of being yielded to the Spirit and showing kindness, love, and generosity, even to their own detriment. And I think there's a lot we can learn, and there's probably some things that we need to unlearn because we're not yielded to the Holy Spirit. So this morning, if this is an intellectual lesson, on you. This can't be that. 
can't be that. I'm just being serious. And I've taught something similar to this for the last 10 years at this church. But gathering as the people of God is not just an intellectual experience. It has to actually move into an experiential experience. And if you go, yeah, I need that today. And I'm pretty sure I need that tomorrow. And I'm going to start doing something about seeking that in my life. May I go study Ephesians 5? Spirit, influence me, control me, lead me, guide me. I'm going to bring uh, Ben and Josh back up here. And this morning, I'm just going to pray for you, not in an awkward, weird way, but if, if that's something you're like, Brett, I just don't do that, or I have never done that. I've stayed as far away from the Holy Spirit as possible because I've only seen the Holy Spirit weird. And, and that's just, I don't think that's Christianity. And what I want to do, if that's like in your heart this morning, you don't have to raise a hand, you don't have to stand up, you don't have to draw attention to yourself, that's the last thing I want to do. But if that's in agreement with your heart, I want to pray that you are filled. As I've prayed in my own life this morning, Lord, fill me so I can convey this word. Lord, fill me so I can love people that aren't lovely. And I pray that people can love me because I'm not altogether lovely. I mean, those are the things that we need to be asking the Spirit to do in our lives. I just want to pray for you now. We're going to sing songs afterwards. There's going to be communion. There's an offering box to give to what God is doing here. Uh, but this time, I just want to take a moment to pray, and then I'll kind of clear the stage off so that can all take place. Um, Lord, what you do as your people gather, I truly believe is unique because your word is powerful, it's living, it's sharp. And I know in and of myself, I am actually none of those things. But with your spirit present, you move in ways that are at times unexplainable, unpredictable, and in ways that I can never even imagine. And this morning, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are lacking joy, that your spirit would fill them to give them joy who are lacking peace, that your spirit would fill them to give peace, who are lacking mercy with frustrating and unlovable people, that your spirit would give them mercy to show them your mercy and a taste of the kingdom and the goodness of God. For those in here who need the spirit to fill their lives because they have a grudge and an ax to grind against people still, that the process of forgiveness would begin with you and the Spirit moving on their heart, reminding them that they are forgiven so they can go freely forgive and they can be freed of the bitterness and the anger in the Holy Spirit. We pray for a fresh falling of the Spirit on our lives today and plead that we would seek you again tomorrow for our daily living and that we'd see your kingdom come, your will be done in Redmond as it is in heaven. We give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you'd stand with me, we're going to respond in the singing of just corporate worship with one another. These guys are going to lead us in two songs. The tables are open. You can get it during the first song, the second song, in between the songs, whatever you'd like. If you're a follower of Jesus, we want to invite you to grab communion, hold on to it. We're going to pray over it, and then we'll get you guys out of here. But don't miss this moment to sit in what the Spirit is doing in your life. One. Yeah. <laughs>